Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to preview this Sunday afternoon's Eagles-Packers game with Tex Western from SB Nation's Packers site, acmepackingco.com. We'll get the latest on how Aaron Rodgers has been doing this year, having a phenomenal year for Green Bay, and just how badly the Packers are going to wallop the Eagles on Sunday afternoon. So we will get a uh, an eye on the enemy here in just a few minutes with Tex Western. And then uh, a very interesting piece that appeared on Bleeding Green Nation on Friday morning, detailing Howie Roseman and how his drafts have compared to the rest of the NFL. We've been talking about how Roseman's inability to draft uh, some of the big misses that they've had over the last few years, but it really doesn't—you really don't know a whole lot until you put it into context, because maybe other GMs are having just as many misses as Howie Roseman. It doesn't seem possible, but uh, until you look around the rest of the league and see how the rest of the league is doing in comparison to Roseman, especially over the last five years when Roseman has had total control, you don't really know. Great piece on BleedingGreenNation.com that I'm going to detail for you coming up in just a few minutes. We're, compa- we're comparing Howie Roseman to the rest of the NFL. And folks, it's it's just as bad as you think in your mind it will be. But first, joining me to talk a little bit more about the Green Bay Packers is Tex Western, the managing editor for AcmePackingCo.com. That's the SB Nation Packers site uh, where you can follow everything that's going on with, uh, with this week's enemy that we're going to be facing on Sunday afternoon. You can also follow him on Twitter at Tex. Tex Western. Tex, welcome to Eye on the Enemy. How are you, man? Hey, thanks a lot. Um, I'm, I'm doing good. Looking forward to uh, another mostly national televised game, which is always good for those of us Packers fans outside of Wisconsin. Yeah, and you know, I love the 4 o'clock games. I think the 4 o'clock games are, yep. are just the best. Uh, you know, 1 o'clock set of appetizers. You know, sometimes the night games are, uh, they keep you up a little bit late, especially if you need to get up early in the morning. And uh, if you're, you're East Coasters or even Central Central Time Zone folks like yourself, I mean, it, it can just get to be a little bit late in the evening for some of those uh, yep. nighttime games. But the 4 o'clocks are perfect. I mean, you, you just, you're just settling in on a late Sunday afternoon, and it's really great. And I will say, too, I want to apologize in advance for what you're going to be subjected to on Sunday afternoon because and the national audience as a whole you know you saw what happened with the Seahawks game on Monday Night Football the Seahawks usually play a really exciting brand of football and the Eagles I think are boring carriers they just they they emit boring no matter where they go and so unfortunately I think it might infect (laughs) the Packers on Sunday afternoon so my apologies ahead of time yeah it's gonna be interesting to see what happens Um, certainly the Packers offense has been one of the more explosive units uh, in, in football this year um, and the defense has been um, giving up big chunks of yardage at times. So, you know, going in most of the time, Packers games have been, you know, high scoring affairs for most of this season. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out on Sunday. 
Well, let's start off by talking about the main guy. And of course, we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, who is maybe having his best season in a Green Bay uniform. Obviously, he was the MVP a number of years back. Um, he's had a number of fantastic seasons, but he, he just he looks so good this season. Is Where does this season rank for you in, in terms of his best seasons overall? Yeah, his his 2011 MVP can, campaign coming off the the Super Bowl MVP in 2010 is is always going to be I think the gold standard yeah. um, for me in terms of Packers quarterbacks. But honestly, this year is probably you know numbers wise and just the way he looks comfortable in the offense. It might be his second best season. I mean, he had kind of had a little bit of a downturn the last couple of years towards the end of the McCarthy era, and then that first year under Matt Lafleur, not not fully being bought into the system. Um, his numbers just, you know, ha- haven't been the same since maybe about 2016, late that year when when the Packers went on a run. But this year, he is, you know, very much resurgent. Um, he's he said that now in year two of the the offense with Matt Lafleur, he's completely bought into the scheme and the the approach that Lafleur is taking. And this is this is that kind of Kyle Shanahan offense, um, similar to what they run out in San Francisco. But if you you know it doesn't call on the quarterback generally to make a lot of really challenging, difficult throws. It schemes a lot of guys open, uh, uses a ton of play action, and but then you throw the fact that Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, and he does so much and can do so much off schedule. Um, it gives a different dynamic to that offense, and and we're seeing it in the offensive production this season with the Packers leading the league in points scored. Yeah, I mean they're just they're scoring a ton, like you said, leading the league in, in points scored, and and hobby, obviously Devon. Adams is a huge part of that. Um, yep. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers' favorite favorite receiver is he the best wide receiver in the NFL right now? I've made that case. I th- I think he's definitely the best route runner in the NFL. Um, every once in a while, you'll see a little bit of a blip with his hands, but it's 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 few and far between. There was one game a couple weeks ago against Jacksonville where he he dropped two balls that he would normally catch, and he fumbled the fumbled once. Um, but Really, that's the only the only knock on him. He's not the you know he's not a huge guy. He's about six one two ten, um, but you know his route running is absolutely second to none. He's got plenty of speed um, to to beat guys deep, and um, it's just so much fun to to watch those two guys play pitch and catch sometimes. Sure, and and it's not just Devontae Adams. I mean, obviously, when the Packers are on offense, they have lots of weapons. Aaron Jones is off a, a dynamic running back that doesn't get enough publicity. What are the Eagles going to be looking at when they face a, the Green Bay offense here on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, Aaron Jones. Um, being the the number one running back, um, he's a real versatile weapon. Uh, certainly a, a, a fast guy, a great one cut uh, zone runner type of type of guy um, who can also split out wide and and run routes like a receiver. So matchups are going to be a big thing on him. Are our teams going to continue covering him with a cornerback like they have this season um, instead of you know the way they they were kind of treating him last year when he'd split out and they'd put a linebacker on him and he kept burning him. You know, if you do that, you're in light, um, you know, light personnel, and then they can kind of pound you a little bit with Jamal Williams inside. But um, mm-hmm. on the receiving core, honestly, I think Robert Tunyon, uh, the tight end, is probably playing like the best tight end in the NFC right now. Um, his his efficiency numbers are terrific. Wow. Um, you know, he's I think he's six or seven touchdowns this year. Um, he's been a really really good secondary weapon. And they're starting to use him on a little bit of kind of similar plays to to the way George Kittle gets used in uh, San Francisco. Again, similar offensive schemes, so it makes sense that they'd be borrowing concepts. 
but he got open wide open on a beautiful uh, corner post route last week for a, a big 40-yard touchdown. And I think you could see him really attack the, uh, the middle of the defense deep this week. And obviously most great offenses have a great offensive line, and the Packers certainly do. Although seeing that center Corey Lindsley is not going to be on the field on Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, how big a blow is that to what the Packers want to do on offense? Yeah, it's you would think that losing, you know, an all pro caliber center, um, the top graded center this year by pro football focus would be a big drop off. But uh, in the last two games, he's he's basically dropped out both with uh, with injuries in the first quarter. And the Packers really haven't missed a beat. A beat. They've what they've done is slid over uh, second year guard Elton Jenkins from left guard to center, the position he actually played all through college. Um, he's he's been terrific at that spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then br- they're bringing in rookie John Runyon. Um, probably a, a familiar name. Yeah, for I was going to say, if that name sounds familiar, that is John Runyon's boy. That's right. Um, sixth round rookie uh, out of Michigan, um, and he's been coming in at left guard and, and playing really well. So th- there really hasn't been a significant drop off um, on the line when, you know, those couple of occasions when Lindsley has missed time. And, and yeah, like you said, that's huge uh, for, for this offense to, to function the way it has. Um, they're getting good push in the run game. They're keeping Aaron Rodgers clean and that, you know, everything kind of starts up front there. What is Matt LaFleur doing in green Bay? That's, I mean, they had a really good season last year, made it to the NFC championship game. And I, I know coming into the season, there were still a lot of people who didn't believe in the Packers. They didn't really believe what they saw last year was they maybe thought it was kind of a mirage that LaFleur, um, not lucked into the record that they had. I and mean, you get the NFC Championship game, that's that's a really good season, and you've had a really good season as a head coach if you do that. But, you know, I think he's proving a lot of the detractors and a lot of the uh, the disbelievers wrong. What have you seen with, with Matt LaFleur here in his second season that um, you've either seen some improvements or seen this team move forward in some ways? Yeah, LaFleur has, has done a couple big things that have, have really jump-started this team. Again, this offseason with... The, the, the fully virtual offseason that happened because of the pandemic, um, it really let everybody um, dive into the playbook and and really do a lot of the studying of, of understanding not just the how but the why of, of why certain concepts work together in his offensive scheme. And I think that's really created that, that big comfort level, like I mentioned, with Aaron Rodgers and then with everybody else um, on offense. I think there's there's also been some improvements from his perspective in terms of play calling. Mm-hmm. Um, the Packers are tremendous coming out of the gate with that initial scripted sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, the usual you know usual kind of ten to fifteen plays, um, you know right out of the gate. I think there's only been one ga- one game this entire year when the Packers haven't scored on the op- on the opening drive of the game on offense. Um, so so that's been a, a tremendous. Um, a, a nice boost early on in the game because because this Packers defense really needs to play with a lead to have success, and so that's a big part of it. And really, there's a lot of it is culture related. Um, I think there was a lot of just sort of complacency at the end of the Mike McCarthy era, and he's shaken that up a little bit and and given the guys a little bit of a different kind of different level of camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Um, the the locker room, the, the players talk about it, that there's just a really strong bond um, within the locker room. And I think those those kind of intangible areas um, are ways that he's helped this team as well. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers seems to have just a different body language this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, that's the one thing you notice. He seems to have a little bit more swagger, a little bit more confidence, seems to have a better handle on what's been going on. And you can't help but wonder how many of his prime years were wasted with, with McCarthy. I mean, McCarthy won a Super Bowl, you know, it was towards the end there certainly a contentious relationship and and you just wonder how you know if green bay just 
how, how definitely wasted at least a couple of, of years of Aaron Rodgers prime you know I guess maybe he still it looks like is not has another few years of prime left it looks like yeah it's it's it always seemed to be the defense that let the Packers down especially you know in these Rodgers McCarthy eras um in in I think every one of the Packers losses it was a one score game um, except for I think the maybe one game the the year that they went 15 and one they actually kind of got got beat pretty bad by the Giants but every other loss um, since 2012 in the playoffs I think has come by one score um, maybe I'm missing one but I mean a couple of overtime games a couple of last second field goals so you know number of times when Rodgers just didn't even have the chance to to go out and win the game yeah um, so so that was certainly a, a frustrating part of it um, and and that's still kind of where the challenge is on defense this it's going to be interesting to see what happens the rest of this year and and in the playoffs and through the offseason because it seems so much like this defense is less than the sum of its parts mm. and there's there's really good players on on all levels of this defense Jair Alexander's playing like a, an all pro corner um Zadarius Smith is having another really good year um in his second year in Green Bay Kenny Clark's a tremendous one of the best defensive tackles in the league so there's players at all levels of this defense it just seems to you know that the the unit doesn't come together and play as well as the individual talent suggested should, and that goes that falls on coaching, and that I think falls on Mike Patton, the defensive coordinator. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with him down this stretch, this stretch, especially because you know for so many years it's been the defense that's let this team down. You know, I, I will assuage any fears that you may have about the defense uh, coming into this Sunday because <laughs> we, we, you saw what happened when uh, the Seattle Seahawks came to Philadelphia and um, really the worst-looking defense in the NFL up to that point, the Eagles couldn't do a thing against them. And so when you mentioned that the Eagle, that the Packers have been scripting, they're having a lot of success with the first-quarter scoring and scripting their plays, that's the nightmare scenario for the Philadelphia Eagles because they've been the worst first-quarter team in the NFL this year. And so um, obviously when the Eagles went into Green Bay and won on Thursday night last year, they did it by running the ball, ran the ball right down their throats, and that still is an issue for, for Green Bay, the run defense. And I would imagine that... Yep. That should be the game plan for the Eagles coming in to this Sunday afternoon if they can keep the score somewhat close early on. Yeah, that's going to be the challenge is is not letting the Packers get out to maybe a, a two score lead, mm-hmm. um, and that's what happened with the Bears last week. They kind of you know they would have the same approach coming in with um, you know with the offense that they have with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. You know, keep it close. You know, r- run the ball with David Montgomery. Well. It didn't work because the Packers got out to a twenty-one to three lead in the first quarter or in the first half, and you know at that point they were able to kind of you know coast the rest of the way and mm-hmm. and win by a couple touchdowns. So um, yeah, if if you get into a, a position where your your team is forced to throw the ball against the Packers defense, the pass rushers can start teeing off a little bit. Um, they got a couple good ball hawks in the secondary, and and that's the. That's the problem scenario for for any team facing Green Bay is when um, you know when they can get into predictable scenarios, play light like they like to do. Like Petten really likes to play five and six defensive backs um, almost all the time, and so yeah, you can you can find room to run the ball against that, but um, you better keep it close because otherwise, yeah, then you're you're getting into trouble. I you know the other thing here too is you know it's it's keeping it close, but you know being able to throw the ball is important. I mean, I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. You you can't run the ball, even against a team that plays light like you just mentioned, if you 
have if the opposing defense has no fear of the other team's wide receivers or, or passing game and opposing defenses are just not worried about the Eagles wide receivers and they're they're not devoting extra defensive backs to to help stop the passing game they're basically saying you are not going to run on us and we're going to we're going to dare you to beat us in the air and i would imagine that would probably be a similar approach to Green Bay's defensive philosophy. Even though, even though, like you said, they do struggle against the run, the, the, when, when you're facing a team that literally cannot pass the football, it seems as though the smart game plan would be to gear up to stop the run and see whether or not Carson Wentz is able to get out of whatever funk he is in and see if those wide receivers can beat you. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, and it's just going to be interesting to see if that's the approach that Mike Pettin takes and, and how much yeah. b- base defense he actually plays this week. Um, because, again, I mean, he loves he loves putting a safety down as one of the two inside linebackers and playing with, with five you know five other DBs on the field, and that's that's not a great recipe for stopping the run against anybody, but um, especially a team with, you know, with some, some good running backs like Philly has. So I, yeah, it's just a matter of I really mm-hmm. think the the Eagles in particular need to be able to throw the ball a little bit in order to get defenses to relax enough yep. to use Miles Sanders a little bit more. I know people are screaming for the Eagles to run the ball more, but I just I don't you're bashing your head up against a brick wall with this offensive line and uh, with an inability to pass just to run Miles Sanders up the middle for two yards twenty times a game, but. I've asked everybody who comes on this podcast for an outsider's perspective on what's going on with Carson Wentz. And I guess um, my thought, my, my question to you is, what do you see? What have you seen uh, looking at Carson Wentz from the outside? Because, you know, this, the other thing, too, is the entire NFL is talking about Carson Wentz. I can't remember the last time a player dominated the national conversation for a bad team like this, the way Carson Wentz has dominated the conversation. It's 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 so interesting. It's unprecedented how he has turned from one of the five or ten best quarterbacks in the NFL to maybe its worst starting quarterback in the league. What have you seen from Carson Wentz, and what do you think is his long term outlook? Yeah, it it really is is flabbergasting, you know, to say the least. Um, and I I caught at least a little bit of that game against Seattle, and and there were just a couple throws that just. You know, it's 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 like he's not processing what he's seeing. Um, mm. That he's, you know, I don't know if he's seeing ghosts. And then when he is, you know, when he is throwing the football, the accuracy just does not seem to be there. And it's it's a kind of a complete meltdown in in all facets of quarterbacking. And honestly, you know, it's it's surprising to me that that they haven't at least gone to Jalen Hurts to some extent to to try to 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 shake some things up a little bit. Um, I understand that that Wentz's contract situation is, you know, quite the albatross, especially with the cap dropping next year, and mm-hmm. and yeah. you're kind of you're kind of stuck with him at this point, right? But um, yeah, at at some point, um, I, I feel like given the fact that that the Eagles are still, you know, what a half game out of the lead in the, in the division, um, yeah, they've got to they've got to try to do something to to shake it up a little bit because you know it, it's it's that old dumb cliche, right? That it doesn't matter what your record is when you know, as long as he can get into the playoffs. Um, so I, I, yeah, it's, I don't understand it. I was, I was hoping that uh, maybe you would have some, some answers for me on that one as to, as to what's happening. So I, I don't, well, I, I wrote a piece for Bleeding Green this week where I, I basically I, I still believe in Carson Wentz long term. I, I think I think it would benefit him to sit right now. I think 
He's, I, I think his brain is full of spiders. I, I think his, <laughs> like you said, I think he's not processing things. He's seeing things that, that are there and refusing to throw the football in some, with, you know, and make the layup throws. I, he's overcomplicating things. I don't think he trusts his wide receivers. There were a number of plays in the Seattle game where the receivers just didn't go where they were supposed to go. We saw a bubble screen where Jalen Rager is supposed to, is supposed, he's lined up in the slot and he's just supposed to fade to the sideline to get the bubble screen and he, he's running to the end zone and so, and it results in a sack uh, you saw dallas goddard on the interception at the end of the seattle game was supposed to run to the end zone and said he cuts it into the middle for the late fourth quarter interception that essentially sealed the football game i mean and that's happened a lot of times his receivers can't get open the coaching staff is for some reason playing alshon jeffrey over travis fulgham uh for way more snaps than is understandable so uh, so there's there's issues with the wide receivers that he just doesn't trust and they've had 10 different offensive line combinations in 11 games and a lot of the offensive linemen they've had in there guys like matt Pryor, sua opeda uh, jason peters uh for one have been dreadful uh jason kelsey's playing on one arm this year he has not been the same guy there they've really i think all both of those factors coupled together have resulted in a, a cascade of uh ineffectiveness, um, a a breakdown in his decision-making process, and I think he's jittery and scared. And it also would not surprise me, Tex, if the concussion that he suffered last year is still having some kind of effect mentally with his game. I don't know that for sure. No one really knows that for sure, but he has not come back looking like the same quarterback. And there was talk in the, in, in the uh, not the preseason, but in training camp that his accuracy was way off. So something's not right there. Um, and I still believe in him long-term, I, but I, I, don't, I also don't think that means he should necessarily start the rest of the season or necessarily you know, finish the game on Sunday afternoon if he struggles again. Because I think sitting down sometimes helps a quarterback. It helps take the pressure off him a little bit, give him a breather. Because I honestly feel like he's, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders and he's trying to pull out of this. And the, the more he plays, the worse it's getting. Yep. Yeah, no, that that completely makes sense. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if if Petten breaks out some more um, interesting coverage combinations and, and disguising his coverages a little bit to try to uh, to bait some 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 bad throws out of uh, out of Wentz on, on Sunday as well. So, I, I would certainly go that route if if it were me calling the defense. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know, run, run some zone blitzes here and there, and and try to get the pressure coming from from all different places, so that that he's not sure where to look to 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 avoid the the rush, as well as um, you know what to expect in terms of coverage. All right, well, prediction time here. Um, I don't think there's anybody in their right mind who is picking the Eagles to beat the Green Bay Packers this weekend. So I guess the only question is, how much do you see the Packers beating this football team by on Sunday afternoon uh, when the kickoff begins at four o'clock? Yeah, I, I I think again the the Packers are they've started off so well like I mentioned um, really all season long and they've done it against bad defenses against good defenses like Indianapolis and Chicago um, I I would not be surprised if you know that that takes place again um, especially with um, you know maybe maybe attacking the deep middle a little bit with with Tunyon with with Marquez Valdez Scantling. Um, they'll get a lot of play action going, and that's that's a core part of that offense as well. So I think uh, I think the Packers jump out early, um, probably put a couple touchdowns on the board in the first half, and um, yeah, if we're if we're talking a spread of about nine and a half, I think I think the Packers probably cover. Um, I'm going to say something along the lines of a 34-21 final score. 
you know, normally I would agree with you that this would be uh, that this would be an easy cover for the Packers, but the Eagles have had this really annoying tendency this year uh, to be down late in the fourth quarter and then get it to within a one-score game with under a minute left to play. It is, it's almost like clockwork. Uh, it happens every single year. And I don't see the Packers yep. overlooking the Eagles in this game either because I know uh, Green Bay is still fighting for that number one seed in the conference, which with the new playoff format, just the, the only team that gets that first round by is that number one seed. So uh, still a lot to play for for Green Bay here over these uh, last Definitely. few Definitely. And, you know, really the Packers have a great um, – you know, great thing in their back pocket with a head-to-head win against the Saints from from back yeah. in Week Three. So, um, you know, certainly the the they just need one game. You know, the Saints to drop one game uh, down the stretch to to give them a chance to to pull back into the tie for that top spot. And um, I'm I'm pretty convinced that somewhere along the line, um, the Saints are, are not are, are going to drop at least one game without uh, Drew Brees out there with Taysom Hill starting. So, I think it's it's yeah. within reach. Um, and certainly. Uh, getting that by and you know whatever the the playoff situation looks like with the pandemic whether they actually you know bubble or whether they you know they end up playing in um you know whether that would give the packers home field advantage um such as it is this year um certainly that's that's the that's the ultimate goal because with that win over chicago last week the division looks like it's it's effectively over in, in the nfc north so now they can set their sights on that top seed Yep, still something to play for. So I don't think the Eagles can count on the Packers uh, letting down against uh, against the Birds this Sunday. Well, listen, folks, uh, make sure that if you want to keep an eye on the enemy, you're reading acmepackingco.com every day here for the rest of the week so that you can uh, keep a close eye on what's going on with the Green Bay Packers. Make sure you're following the great Tex Western at Tex Western on Twitter. Thank you very much, Tex, for coming on Eye on the Enemy. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, and hopefully we'll have a, a good game and uh, on Sunday and everybody comes out of that healthy and... Uh... We'll hopefully uh, have a have a good time on Sunday. Well, up next, how bad has Howie Roseman been at drafting compared to the rest of the NFL? We'll dive into that next, coming up here on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up, and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So for most Eagles fans, when you ask them and you talk to them about what has gone wrong most here in 2020, why the Eagles suddenly find themselves three years removed from a Super Bowl needing a complete rebuild, 
some will blame Carson Wentz, certainly. Some will blame, blame Doug Peterson. I mean, I think both men deserve a, a fair amount of the blame. And I wrote a piece for Bleeding Green Nation this week where I talked about why I still believe in these two guys. I think that they've had horrible years. I'm not against benching Carson Wentz. I think it might actually be good for him, good for him to take a mental break from trying to figure out what's going wrong on the field. I also think it would have some value in seeing what Jalen Hurts has. I think Brandon Lee Gowton has mentioned this on a number of BGN radio episodes that if the Eagles are going to pick high in the first round, it might behoove them to know what they have in Jalen Hurts in case they need to take a quarterback at the top of the draft. And that would certainly signal that Carson Wentz is not the long-term answer and that they will look to unload him as soon as it's feasible with his contract. But I don't think that's the direction the team should go. I still believe in Carson Wentz. I, I believe that the fact that he has had now, as we find out, Jack Driscoll is going to start at right tackle for the Eagles this Sunday afternoon against the Packers. He will have his 11th different offensive line combination in 12 games. It is really hard to be a successful quarterback when the offensive line, the five guys in front of you, keep shuttling in and out and you have different guys in different places every single week, there's no way to get cohesion in that kind of a situation. And that's why the Eagles can't run the ball effectively. That's why they haven't. It's one of the reasons I think he's so hesitant and jumpy in the pocket. And I've also talked about the wide receiving core. That he just doesn't have any playmakers around him. They've been keeping Travis Fulgham on the sideline in favor of Alshon Jeffrey for reasons passing understanding. I think that will change this Sunday. I would be amazed if Alshon Jeffrey gets more than 10 snaps on Sunday afternoon. I really can't imagine another situation uh, where, like we had last week where he's splitting time essentially with Travis Fulgham. But the Eagles have... Not They do not have anything on the outside that scares opposing defenses. They went out and drafted J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in the second round last year to be a 50-50 ball guy, and he hasn't even been that. He can't even get on the field. A second-round pick a year ago can't even get on the field in an offensive system where you really don't have any talent at the wide receiver position. Fulgham is a nice player, but you see how easy it has been to take him out of the game plan by opposing defenses this year. I think he's a solid player, but he's not a number one. Jalen Rager, who you drafted in the first round, has shown nothing since he's been in there. Aside from a deep pass in week one, Jalen Rager has not shown the game-breaking speed that we thought we were going to get on the outside. He's shown an inability to, to, to run consistent routes. When he's out, when he when he's out on the field, and you know this has manifested itself, I think, in a lack of trust from Carson Wentz towards his receiving core. We've seen Dallas Goddard and J- and Greg Ward improvise on the field, and so I wrote about all that for Bleeding Green Nation, and why it's why I still believe in Carson Wentz. I think he is dealing with some serious headwinds, and I do think there is serious talent in there somewhere that I'm not ready to give up on him just yet. Although again, I do think it wouldn't hurt to sit him for a game or two, maybe just to clear the cobwebs out of his head. And I think uh, Doug Peterson is just having a terrible year as, as this team's head coach, but I do not think he's the number one problem. I say all that to say most Eagles fans believe Howie Roseman is this team's number one problem. And in order for this team to get younger and to get better, because that's the only way this team is going to improve in wins and losses here over the next two, three years, this team, there is no quick fix. There are no free agents you can sign this offseason, especially with a team that is going to be way over the cap and a team that is going to be struggling to get under the cap even without adding anybody. They're going to have to cut people left and right this this season. And in some of those cases, those are going to be fine cuts. It's going to be good. Alshon Jeffrey's going to go away. Deshaun Jackson's going to go away. You're going to see, say goodbye to a lot of these veterans who simply don't have it anymore. 
But you need a general manager who's not the GM for the short term, who's looking to save his job and pile up wins right now. You need a general manager who cares about the long-term outlook of this team two, three years down the road. And you need a general manager who has a history of drafting well. You need to go poach somebody from some organization that has had good success with early round draft picks, and especially at picking wide receivers and cornerbacks. That has been a huge weakness for Howie Roseman. And you also, I think, need a general manager who's not afraid to take a linebacker early in a draft every once in a while. The fact they went Jalen Hurts over Patrick Queen still bothers me. And even, you know, over Jeremy Chin is, is still hard to wrap my mind around. They have this quarterback that is just not doing anything. And we knew wouldn't serve a purpose this year. So... How bad has Howie Roseman been at drafting compared to the rest of the league? Because we've been talking about it anecdotally, but yeah, and and, and just just so that it, you you understand that it's it's not just us picking apart. Let's just say the Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson pick. We we said it on draft night as it was happening in real time. Oh my gosh, Jefferson is still there. Thank goodness. It was the obvious pick, and you know that 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 it was the obvious pick when many of you have already seen the video of the Vikings draft war room laughing at the Eagles when they selected Rager over Justin Jefferson. The, the, the Vikings are thinking about moving back in this video to take one of the available cornerbacks because they didn't even want to draft Rager after the Eagles. They were going to go cornerback. They were going to trade back and, and, and ignore Rager completely. Like, they didn't get Justin Jefferson. They weren't going wide receiver. So it's not like the Vikings, it was a 50-50 jump ball for them and they would have taken Rager instead of Jefferson. They were going to go cornerback. And so when you, many of you have seen that video, if you haven't yet, here is the audio of the Vikings laughing at the Eagles selection of Rager over Justin Jefferson. You go the receiver at 22, you get a corner at 25. What corner is going to be? I know if, if we can move back at 25, we're going to get one of these corners. You think? Yeah, the corners are sitting there. He's going to take a receiver too, right? Meanwhile, we have the Philadelphia Eagles. You thought they might go wide receiver. We've seen some wide receivers go off the board. It certainly seems like this would be a need that they need to fill. All right, pick is in. We're on the clock. Jalen Rieger, wide receiver, TCU to the Eagles. Let's go get him. Hey, Pat. I'm on it. Nice. Get Justin Jefferson on the clock right now. I'm on it. Wow. Of course, we, we all know now in hindsight, Jefferson has torn up the league. He looks like one of the best wide receivers, not just rookie wide receivers, but best wide receivers in football right away. It was a huge whiff. Even if Jalen Rager becomes a pretty good player, it's pretty clear Justin Jefferson is going to be a superstar in this league. And you've already seen a number of other rookie wide receivers that have cemented themselves as good NFL players. You know, you've seen Brandon Ayuk, you've seen Chase Claypool, you've seen, of course, CeeDee Lamb has, has played extremely well. All of these guys have made their mark in the NFL, while Jalen Rager is still out there trying to figure out what he's supposed to do on a bubble screen. So this is a, this is a huge problem for the Eagles. And maybe Jalen Rager ends up proving us all wrong, and he ends up being better than Justin Jefferson, or at least uh, close to as good, or provides, provides a real meaningful impact for the Eagles passing game at some point. It's probably not going to happen this year. 
but is this going to be another J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? Is, 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 I'm, I just haven't seen the kind of break. I mean, what Jalen Rager was supposed to give you was this breakaway speed that was supposed to create an instant problem for defenses. Where has that been? Have they not schemed it up? Is that the problem? He hasn't been able to run away from opposing defensive backs and give Carson the opportunity to throw that deep ball. And listen, I will also say Carson has missed wide open opportunities with some of these wide receivers. That is just hard to explain. It's unexplainable. Some of the decisions he's making out on the field, he's not seeing things out there. But I also haven't seen a lot of all 22 video where Jalen Rager is running away from the defense and Carson Wentz is just not seeing him. It maybe has happened once or twice, but not on a regular basis. And so how bad has Howie Roseman been at drafting compared to the rest of the league? Well, on Bleeding Green Nation, Patrick C., with a, in an excellent guest piece, took a look at an article that was posted on Football Outsiders by Benjamin Ellinger. Uh, Ellinger analyzed how each team has performed in the NFL draft from 2010 to 2019, relying on two basic metrics. Chase Stewart's draft value chart, generally considered a more reliable measure of a draft pick's value than the famed draft chart, uh, draft value chart created by Jimmy Johnson, and also the career approximate value of the players drafted, which is a metric created by Pro Football Reference. So at the end of the day, what all of this did was tell a story that paints Howie Roseman's drafts in a pretty awful light. And it's the main reason the Eagles find themselves in the position that they do today. So the first thing they look at is draft capital. And looking at the draft capital from 2015 to 2019, which is when Howie Roseman was put in complete control over personnel, during this time period, the Eagles ranked tied for dead last among NFL teams in terms of draft cap capital. And that's because they traded away so many draft picks to get Carson Wentz, to go get Jay Ajayi, to go get Golden Tate and Timmy Jernigan and a lot of other players that helped the Eagles win a Super Bowl. And that's fine. They, you know, trading those players to get Carson Wentz, trading those players to get Ajayi, helped this team win the Super Bowl. And Jernigan. Jernigan played very well in 2017. Golden Tate, not so much. And there are some other. Jannard Avery, of course. We've been screaming about, where is Jannard Avery? You wasted a fourth-round pick on Jannard Avery. And you, you, tr you, you released LJ Fort so that you could get a compensatory pick. I mean, just making the wrong decision left and right. Howie Roseman making one wrong decision left and right here. But in terms of draft capital, he traded a lot of it away to win a Super Bowl, and I'm not going to fault him too much for that. But in these last three years, they've had fewer draft picks than anybody else in football. So that means you got a hit on almost all of those picks if you want to continue to supplement the roster with young talent. So that takes us to draft return. How good has been the return based off of the picks the Eagles have had? And when you look at the rest, when you look at the list, Seattle, Baltimore, Green Bay, Kansas City, New England, Pittsburgh, all rank among the top 10 in terms of draft return. These are all really good teams, by the way. The teams at the bottom, the Jets, the Chargers, the Bears. Where do the Eagles rank? 23rd in the NFL during this 10-year time period. Of course, that is heavily weighed by the 2012 and 2013 draft classes. The Eagles got Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson, Zach Ertz, Nick Foles in, in those two years. So those were good. Those were good classes. The Eagles ranked second in 2012 and fourth in 2013 in terms of overall draft return. After that, it gets pretty doggone bad. In 2014, that was the draft the Eagles took Marcus Smith and Jordan Matthews and Josh Huff. As Patrick C. notes in the piece, that was the fifth lowest return in the NFL. And when you look at the last five years, when Roseman had final say over the Eagles roster, save for 2015, again, there's kind of when you strip out 2015, it really doesn't change the fact all that much that the Eagles ranked second 
to last behind only the New York Jets over the last five years in terms of overall return received from their draft picks. And again, a lot of that is because they haven't had as much capital as other turns as other teams, but the Eagles ranked bottom 10 in three out of the four classes. Roseman was in charge in 2017 with the seventh lowest return 2018 tied for dead last and 2019 with the eighth lowest return. So again, those are all volume metrics. Let's look at draft efficiency, which kind of strips out some of that volume. During that time, the Eagles rank 18th in draft efficiency, which is almost identical to the amount of draft capital they had during the same time period, which was 17th. So not much difference between overall draft uh, draft capital, uh, overall uh, draft return, and draft efficiency. It's pretty much the same story. And if we just look at the last five years again, which is, again, Pat, what Patrick C. did in this piece— Roseman, when Roseman had final say on the roster, the Eagles ranked 24th out of 32 teams in draft efficiency from 2015 to now. And even if you took out 2015, again, which is when Chip Kelly was in charge, the Eagles still ranked 20th in the NFL in terms of efficiency in draft. So the conclusion that everyone has reached that Howie must go, it's borne out in the numbers. When you compare what he's done to his colleagues around the NFL, Howie Roseman has been one of the worst drafters in the NFL. And when you have an Eagles team that is nowhere near close to being a Super Bowl contender, the general manager of, the, of your team needs to specialize in that. And that needs to become the priority for your general manager. Howie Roseman was blessed in 2017. Every move he made turned to gold. All the draft picks he traded to bring in veteran players, it all worked, and that was great. We will forever remember Howie Roseman for the 2017 Super Bowl season. But now you have to look forward. You have to look to the next two, three, four years. And you have to say, what do we need in the general manager's office in order for this team to be successful again? And you can't... and. Some of the reporting that Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie, that there's very little space between them, they, that they are so very close. That is, I mean, I can believe that. I can understand that. Howie Roseman, to be able to become the general manager of this team again, after getting booted to the other side of the Novacare complex when Chip Kelly took over, only to come back and win a Super Bowl, that's going to be a really tough relationship and a, a, really tough, a, a really tough bridge to set on fire, right? But but Jeff Lurie has to look at the has to look at the reality of the situation and recognize that they need a different voice in there. They they need someone else making these decisions. Howie Roseman is not the guy to make these calls. So they need to find a GM who specializes in drafting and developing young talent. Because there's just there have been too many misses in order for him to be trusted to rebuild the Philadelphia Eagles, which is which is what they need to do. They need to be stripped down to the studs, and you need somebody who is willing to do that and has shown that they have the skills in order to make that happen. All right, looking ahead to this Sunday afternoon's game against the Green Bay Packers, I think that at the end of the day, this will probably be a one-score game. So if I'm if I'm on the line here and I'm I'm looking at a nine and a half point spread, I'm probably taking the Eagles. I'm probably taking the points because. 
as bad as the Eagles have played this year, they really haven't been blown out by anyone. They they seem to keep things close till the very end. For whatever you want to say about Jim Schwartz and his defense, they do manage to keep games close. They don't get blown out very often. This is a game the Packers should win by two or three scores. But at the end of the day, I think the Packers are gonna. I think they're gonna score a significant amount of points. But I don't think they're gonna get into the 30s. It's not. It's it's unusual that a Jim Schwartz defense gives up that many points. So I'll say uh, Green Bay Packers 27, Philadelphia Eagles 20. Uh, I think the game it won't feel that close. It'll probably be something like a 27 to 13 game. Uh, uh, with Carson Wentz leading the team on a uh, a late drive in the fourth quarter to get it back to a one-score game, which is what we know uh, the Eagles specialize in here uh, in the 2020 season. But that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Again, my thanks to Tex Western for coming on the podcast and giving us an inside look at what's going on with the Green Bay Packers. Folks, tell your friends about the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Even though this team is hurtling towards uh, the bottom of the NFC East, the worst division in NFL history, there is still lots to talk about as we try to figure out how to rebuild this thing. So all of our podcasts are taking a deep dive into all of that stuff here uh, over the next few weeks. And, of course, I'll have another BGN Memories on the 1980 Eagles coming out later this month and might even throw an extra BGN Memories into the mix if there's time. Uh, There's a a topic I've I've wanted to jump into and and dive into um, that I'd, I'd like to do this month, but you know we'll see if the calendar <laughs> allows it. But in the meantime, don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed and try to enjoy the game on Sunday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. B-G-N. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org slash future to learn more and support their cause.